And those watching online, it is a joy, a privilege to get, to get up here and to make much of Christ. Yeah, not I, but through Christ in me, in us. His grace, His, His steadiness, He is with us. What good and glorious news we have in the midst of a chaotic and harsh and hard world that we live in. And we get to gather together and we get to sing. Are you kidding me? And we get to pray together and we get to hear the word together. God in his kindness to give us such gifts week in and week out. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 13. We're going to consider the last portion of this chapter Before we get into the Red Sea narrative, we're going to take a moment and just kind of slow down and see what's going on here. We're going to read verses 17 through 22. As the people of God are leaving Egypt and they're on their way, they're about to enter into the wilderness, which is going to be the context for the rest of this book. The wilderness. We'll get to that in a moment. So let's read verses 17 through 22. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham, on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they may travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. As we come to your word, we pray that you would do a good work in our hearts. We certainly ask that you would bless this time, that as I preach, that we would hear, receive, believe, and trust this, your word. So be with us, we pray. In Christ's name, for the good of his people. Amen. I can recall with fond affection when all of my boys at one point in their life were infants. And there they are, laying in their cribs, all swaddled up, crying and, and, and just grieving life, I guess. I don't know what was going on. They were making a loud sound. And it was shrieking, and it was piercing, and it was at the wrong hours of the day. I recall that with fond affection because I remember in those moments leaning over the crib and just resting my hand on their swaddled chests, just applying just enough weight to help calm them down, settle them down, and eventually, depending on the boy, sometimes minutes, sometimes what felt like hours, eventually they fell asleep. Now, it The trick was removing the weight of the hand in such a way that not to wake the kid because you worked so hard to get the kid back asleep. It was more challenging than Indiana Jones sort of juggling that golden idol and that sack of uh, stones in the Raiders of the Lost Ark. But it was that weighted hand on their chest 
calming their cries and their fuss and helping them sleep. Knowing you are not alone profoundly impacts how you feel and then how you live. To know that you are not alone in the midst of a life that may cause you to cry and to fuss and to squawk at all hours of the day. To know you're not alone, that there is a hand on you, for you, with you, shapes the way you feel, shapes the way you live. In this small little passage that we're considering in a very big book, we get this very visual experience that the people of God received as they were heading out of slavery and into a place of wilderness. From a place of oppression to a place of great vulnerability. And here we have a picture of Yahweh's continual presence with His people. I don't know if I'll do justice to this today, but I'll tell you what, this preaches. Yahweh's continual presence with His people. We're going to take time to consider that. And as we do, I want us to consider these things. When we think about Yahweh, about God's presence with His people, what we find is it is constant with His people. It is constant. He wants them to see that by day, by night. It is constant. Secondly, we find that it's in the context of His people. In their very context of their lives, whatever they may be, is God's constant presence. And then thirdly, as we consider those two things, constant and context, we see how compelling it is for us then to follow Him. I'm grateful for the songs that we sang leading up to this this morning. To see His worth, His presence, to have that great emphasis placed on our hearts, and then to respond in song of, of almost really more like a prayer I will follow. Now hopefully the same thing plays out as we consider our passage today. So let's dig in. Yahweh's presence with His people is constant with His people. His presence, His continual presence is constant. It's redundant or emphatic, and that's the point. It is constant. So, we need to dust off some things that we considered 10 sermons ago. I had to count it because I couldn't remember how many back it was. But 10 sermons ago, we entered uh, into Exodus chapter 3, and we had the burning bush moment. And I introduced a word, for some of you it might have been new, but the word was theophany. And so we need to dust that word and definition off again and consider what we find here. A theophany, as you can see on the screen, is a visible manifestation of God. The cloud and the fire pillars are visible manifestations of God. They are supernatural phenomena that display God's presence. That God is appearing to and with His people. Now, He's not doing it fully or finally, but He's communicating in this 
presence and this very visual, visceral experience, his, his, his presence with his people in such a way that it's foreshadowing the day he does fully and finally reveal his presence among his people. We have two types of theophanies, if you will, in our passage. One is a pillar of cloud, and the other is a pillar of fire. A cloud use of, uh, in the Bible, when it's associated with God's appearance or his presence with his people, symbolizes his coming near to his people from heaven. Clouds sometimes conceal God's glory, and clouds sometimes reveal God's nearness. And furthermore, clouds convey human limitation or inability to go where God is on their own. That humans are limited. You can't get to where God is on your own. But these clouds, these same clouds that communicate our inability, also convey God's coming down to where his people are in order to bring them where he wants them to go. Clouds. Clouds carry the, the, the presence and the glory of God among his people in their symbolism. Presence of God with his people by day. Now, fire, if you might recall, back when we were considering the bush that was burning but not being consumed, fire represents God's holiness. That he is so set apart from everything else, everywhere, ever. That there isn't anything like God anywhere, ever. That he is so distinct. So, my, my favorite word that some theologians and scholars use to try to describe this is otherly. God is so otherly. Like, you don't even have a word. You just have to, like, tack on a verbial, like, L-Y to the end of the word other because you don't know how else to describe how distinctly holy and set apart God is. He is otherly. He is so very different. And not only is this fire representing his holiness, but it shows up as one of two ways. Judgment over his enemies or purification for his people. Either way, his holiness is going to bring about a radical transformation in the lives of people. Whether it's in judgment or this reconciling, restoration, gracious work that he pours out on his people. So in these theophanies, we see his coming near to set apart his people away from their enemies so that they would be a people unto himself. And these theophanies display about God two other very big words. The first is, He is transcendent. Big word. Transcendent. God is transcendent. I mean, just get the image of that in your head. You're out in the wilderness and a giant pillar of cloud during the day. I don't know, I just assume it looks like a tornado. And then during the night, it's a fire-nado, whatever. We'll just call it that. He is so wholly otherly. This is, 
This is one of those moments where it's like all. Where you worship in awe, reverence in awe, because God, as Hebrews says, is an all-consuming fire. He's otherly, and he's over all of creation. All nature bows to his power, and he supernaturally uses it to convey his presence. That's a big God, right? Well, for the kids that are in here, that big word, transcendence, a good way for you to write it down, and maybe your parents will too, is God is so big. These, these phenomena that God is using to display to his people, his presence, is saying, I'm very big. Bigger than your circumstances and your situations and the situations that you find yourself in. I'm very, very big. A second word that these phenomena convey to us is that God is imminent, imminent, that he is very present in his creation, and that he is especially present with his people in a real and personal, intimate way. He's the covenant making and keeping and seeing all the way through God of his people. So for the kids that are writing this down, imminent would be, God is so very near. God is so very big, and God is so very near. This is good news for us. God is bigger than our problems, our obstacles, our challenges, our crisis, our chronic pains. God is bigger than our losses, our fears, our doubts, our worries. But God is also so very near. So very much in it. So very much in it with His people. And those things are being communicated in these, what we call theophanies, these supernatural displays of God's presence among his people. But what is especially noteworthy about our passage is the emphatic attention given to by day and by night. That makes God's overwhelmingly big and close presence with his people constant. God is constantly bringing his big, near presence to his people. That the scope of God's presence with his people is always. God is always big and near. God is always with his people. The use of by day and by night conveys the always present nature of God's presence with his people, taking two opposites and saying God is there. And both of those opposites means he's there always. God is never not present. It's okay, school starts in a few weeks. We can still do the double negative. 
God is never not present. Think about that. Now, some of you might be sitting here saying to yourself, well, sometimes it doesn't feel that way. The good news from this is that God's Word is revealing His character to us. This is your God. The constant, always near, always present, big God. And the good news from that is that this, you are not alone. You are not alone. And you might say, well, I don't necessarily feel that way. I actually feel very alone. I feel like God is very far, not near. And I feel like my problems or my situations or my circumstances are very large. And it doesn't seem or feel this way. What do we do in those moments when you feel like, yeah, I want this God in my life, but I sure doesn't, it sure doesn't seem like this God is in my life. Friends, what we do in those kinds of moments when we feel as if we're alone, and the Bible is holding out to us the reality that God doesn't leave, what do we do in those moments? Well, we have to, to do something that's very challenging. We have to preach to our hearts that which is true, even if our hearts feel otherwise. We have to tell ourselves the truth in the moments in which we feel alone, we feel distance, we feel silence. We have to consider our ways and consider God's Word, and we have to look at the two and say, one is infallible and inerrant and is inspired by God and is to reveal to me His character, worth, and works and ways. And the other is a heart that is weak and is wobbly. It's impressionable. It can, be, it can feel all the feels all the time. And it's in those moments where we lean on that which is true and we preach it to our hearts. We preach Psalm 23, verse 4, to our hearts Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Think about that visual. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Even if I'm surrounded by evil, even when it feels like that valley and that evil is winning, you are with me. God is giving the people of God here as they're leaving Egypt and going into this wilderness a very visible manifestation that He is with them. On the heels of 430 years of it not feeling like He was with them. I love how real and raw the Word of God is. 
this was just made up by men, passed down generation after generation, they would have smoothed out all those real and raw parts. The parts like Psalm 73, where the psalmist is complaining that it seems like all the bad people are winning. I'm trying to be good and I'm losing. Where are you? Do you ever feel that way? Yet I went into the sanctuary of the Lord. And the script of my heart was flipped. Whom have I in heaven but you? God is with his people always, even especially when it doesn't feel like it. And if you're in one of those objectively clear moments, this is like one of those mental notes that you write down. God is with me. Right now, I, th- I believe that. But in three days from now, or in two minutes from now, or whatever, I may not feel that. <laughs> so you write down on your heart that which is true. You lean on the truth in the midst of a hard and harsh life. We have a God who is constant, always present with his people. And it's in the context of the people's lives that we find his presence. A couple of things here as we consider that. In the context of his people, we find that God is in their midst on purpose. He's in their midst on purpose. He's not obligated. He's there on purpose. He's there on purpose to do a couple of things. One, to fulfill his promises. He's made very big promises to his people that he would deliver them and bring them to the land in which they would dwell. And he's going to see that all the way through. He's sort of at the midterm of that. And he's, he's reminding them of his presence as they're entering in the next stage of his promise. They've been delivered And now he's going to bring them to the place in which he is going to have them dwell. But in the midst of that, we find this little thing tucked in there as a reminder that God sees his promises all the way through. And that's that little odd like reference to Joseph and his bones. Joseph was the, the, the sort of swinging gate of how the people of God ended up in Egypt. For those who don't know the story of Joseph, he was one of Jacob's sons. All the other sons did not like him very much. Joseph was also maybe a little aloof to that and flaunted his his position of favorite before his brothers. They plotted to kill him, but instead of killing him, they sold him into slavery. And in that selling of him into slavery, he gets then transported to Egypt. And then a whole other world of like craziness happens. And the next thing you know, I'm fast-forwarding a lot, the next thing you know, he's the right hand of Pharaoh in Egypt, and he is helping them prepare for a terrible famine, and they become sort of the center point of the region to help care for people. Among those people are his family. They come down there. They're celebrated. There's reconciliation. And at the end of his life, he looks to his family and says, take this solemn swear that when the Lord visits you, Keep in mind, this is scripture. Joseph probably didn't understand fully what he was speaking to, but the spirit who inspired these words surely did. When God will surely visit you, bring my bones up out of this place. 
That may seem just like an odd detail. God has seen his promises all the way through. His presence is among his people because he is faithful to his promise. Secondly, we find that God's doing this on purpose to fulfill his promise, but also to lead his people. Another interesting detail here. Instead of taking them the shorter geographical way, God takes them the long way into the wilderness. The shorter way goes through the land of the Philistines. It was a very common way of travel in that day. It would have been a lot easier travel in that day until they experienced opposition and wanted to go back to Egypt. God knew the hearts of his people, and he was leading them even into the wilderness because he knew at the threat of war with well-established places that they would want to run back to Egypt, and that certainly plays true in the rest of Exodus. God knows the hearts of his people. And what may seem like inconvenience or slower or longer is actually for the good of his people. So God is in the context of their lives. His presence is constant and he's he's fulfilling his promises and he's leading his people. And where does he lead them? But into the wilderness. Into this place of great vulnerability. The wilderness was not like how we treat it now. Like, oh, I'm going to go away for a few days and go hike and camp and whatnot and then come home. I'm going to follow my phone and all of this is going to be great. I've got all the resources and, uh, you know, this is going to be a wonderful experience. No, the wilderness in their day was a, a place of great vulnerability. Out in the open, susceptible to the wild, limited in resources, and feeling utterly lost. That's what the wilderness represented, to be lost. And God was leading them there. And God didn't lead them into the wild and say, hey, you see that big mountain way over there? I'm going to be over there. Why don't you get through, and I'll see you on the other side. No. He led them into the wilderness as one with them. His continuous presence on display day and night. Now, in our series through Exodus, I've said many times that the word Exodus means to, to go up out or to be brought up out of something. But don't we oftentimes think of Exodus or use it in a, in a way that also refers to being in a wilderness? In a wilderness? I mean, most of the story, in terms of sheer chapter amount, is set in the wilderness. Yes, we equate to the story of Exodus, visual scenes of the battle between Yahweh and Egypt, but so much more is set in the wilderness. It's a picture. It's a picture of life between deliverance and dwelling, between rescue and glory. Friends, As we're going through this, the rest of this book, it's a picture of the life of of the one following after God, of the Christian, of the believer, between cross and glory, between faith and sight. It is the picture of what our lives will be like, will feel like, what we will experience. 
This is relevant ground we are going to be traveling on. And as we travel, I want us to know that we are not traveling guideless or alone. We have the constant presence of God with us. Even in this wilderness. Y'all, this week, this like really hit me too. Like, like this very moment right now, does it not? And maybe I'm the only one. If I'm the only one, then sorry that you're going to have to live through this with me. But I don't think I'm the only one. Does it not feel like we're in a wilderness right now? I feel very much like this context, uh, the context of this passage is incredibly relevant. I mean, just think of what the people of God have experienced. They just had a radical season in which some crazy stuff happened. I think we just did too. <laughs> and they're about to have this crazy, intense, unbelievable season in which their very lives are at risk. They think they're going to die. And then this like huge water wall parts of, and, and they will go across this sea on dry land. And their entire enemy is wiped out. I mean, the craziest thing. I, I'm pretty sure like, we're about to see the, that kind of crazy. I mean, we've got the fall coming, right? We have a wobbly economy. We have schools starting up that's going to impact so many families with utter and complete chaos. And then we have this stupid season of the election year. Kids, you may not be allowed to say stupid. I'm using it in a very literal way. Like this really literally will be the stupid season of an election year. And of all the years, this is going to be like the dumbest of stupid. I feel overwhelmed when I consider all this. How do we go about doing ministry together safely? How do we care for one another? How do we share the burdens of one another? How do we manage that utterly chaotic life that we're going to feel this rat race from Monday to Friday? What's going to be left in, in the midst of our church family on the other side of this? I feel all of these things, and I'm pretty sure you do too, and it feels like wilderness. You feel lost. Where's up? Where's down? Where's north? Where's south? Where's east? Where's west? And if I don't check my heart with truth, it will be just as wild as the wilderness I feel we're in. I'm bracing for chaos. I'm catching my breath from a crazy season. But I'm not doing that as one who is hopeless. I want to do that as one who knows God is with His people in all of their contexts, even the ones that feel like wilderness. We are not alone. Right now, we are not alone. And when September hits, we are not alone. And when the second Tuesday of November, I think, hits, we are not alone. 
We're not alone on January 3rd, February 17th, March 31st, June 8th. We're not alone in 2022, 2030. We're not alone, friends. We're not alone. The ever-present, very big, very near God is with us through it all. I love Isaiah 43. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That is your God. And he has displayed that throughout all of Scripture, most incredibly on display, through his Son, Jesus Christ, who is full of grace and truth and reveals to us God and his glory, who then departed but said these words as he departed, I'm sending one to you who will comfort you, encourage you, convict you, be with you all the way to the very end. You are not alone. Fear not. And as you consider the constant presence of God in all the context of your life, of our life together, I hope that your heart is compelled, compelled to follow. Compelled to follow the God into the wilderness compelled to trust Him because He is so big and so near and so full of grace and so full of mercy. And that fullness of grace and mercy, guess what? It's new to you every morning. You would be compelled to what we considered last week, worship and faithfulness. That You would be compelled to make much of a God who is so big And while our context may be filled with the same sort of vulnerability as the wilderness, that you are compelled to rejoice in the fact that He is greater than and over all those situations that weigh down your heart. That you are also compelled in worship, that that you rejoice that you have a God who is near. And while our contexts may be filled with the same sort of unknowns the people of God felt when they went into the wilderness. We have a God who is not waiting on us to get to the other side, but rather one who is with us every step through it all. And that you would have such a compelled heart to follow Him because you know that God is with you always. And while the normalcy of what we once enjoyed may never return, we are assured of this. 
Jesus. I am with you always to the very end of the age. God is our refuge. He is big and near and always. And He has supplied that for us through Christ and applies that to our hearts through the Spirit to the very end of the age. So I say to you, friends, here present, those watching, retreating from the compelling call of worship and faithfulness will leave you out in the wilderness alone. Don't run from, rather run to the God of all refuge by embracing the compelling call of worship and faithfulness and know that you will be emboldened to face the wilderness with the assurance of God's presence. Psalm 5.11 says, Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. God does not promise a wilderness-free life. He promises and provides His presence through the person of Jesus Christ and the ongoing presence of the Holy Spirit. You are not alone in what you face. The God who is worthy of worship and who is constantly present is with you. May your hearts rejoice and may you with your lives follow even into the wilderness. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that in it we find great comfort and hope. I pray that that's exactly what we find here today. That it would be compelling for our lives to see you, your bigness, your nearness, your alwaysness. That we would follow in worship and in faithfulness. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Just a quick reminder before we head out. As you head out, you'll pass the table over there with the Operation Christmas Child boxes. You can fill one of those boxes up. There's a pamphlet there that will give you some direction on that. Just bring your filled box in, and we will help ship those. In the past, we've helped fill the boxes, but we're not doing that in light of COVID. If you would rather give financially to help supply boxes, you can do that through our website, online giving form, or you can do that directly with Good Samaritan. So be sure to Take care of that on the way out. It'd be a joy to be able to send those boxes out in this year, a very challenging year. All right, would you please stand? And our benediction comes from the very end of 2 Timothy. Quite simply said, but profoundly deep. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Amen. Amen.